Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking to Dr. Alison Moran about caring for senior pets. Dr. Moran graduated as a vet from the University of Sydney in 1995. After several years in practice, both in Australia and Great Britain, she then went on to gain her memberships from the Australian and New Zealand College of Veterinary Scientists in 2006, her graduate diploma in animal chiropractic from RMIT in Melbourne in 2009, and has completed a course in Tui Na Chinese Massage in 2009. She became a part owner of Monavale Veterinary Hospital on the northern beaches in Sydney in 2012, and has also completed a neurology course through Massey University, gained her certificate in veterinary acupuncture in 2017, and graduated as a certified canine rehabilitation therapist in 2019. Alison has a special interest in rehabilitation and pain management, particularly in relation to maintaining mobility in older dogs and cats and providing long-term relief of chronic pain. Hello, Alison. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pure Animal Podcast. Um, how are you? Well, thanks, Sarah. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm pleased to be chatting today. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited to chat about what's a very important topic, which is caring for our senior pets as they enter their their older years um, and we can give them the, the best sort of quality of life as possible. Um, but before we jump into the topic, Alison, are you able to share a bit um, about your background with us, including when you actually decided to become a vet and how you ended up working in the field of um, rehabilitation, pain management specifically? Sure, Sarah. I'm happy to chat about that. Uh, it's uh, I've always wanted to be a vet since I was a young child. Um, I grew up in Dubbo. And so I quite enjoyed uh, working with large animals. I studied agriculture at school and I always wanted to be a large animal vet, actually. Um, I wasn't that interested in clipping little old ladies' budgies' toenails. But um, (laughs) yeah, here I am now. I'm working in a small animal practice now. But my my journey took me to large animal practice first up um, after I graduated Um, And I was lucky enough to start practice in Bathurst with um, Dr. Angus McKibben. Okay, Um, heard of him. um, He was instrumental in me uh, having an experience with acupuncture. Right. Um, He, way back then, was doing um, gold bead implantation as a way of managing osteoarthritis in elderly animals. Um, Some amazing response. It was, yeah. So he de- he definitely piqued my interest um, to to study that kind of thing yeah, really. uh, later on in my career. Um, so I, I went off to the UK and I worked for seven years over there um, mm-hmm. as a large animal vet, but eventually swapped over to doing small animal work. And about ten years ago, um, I was interested in looking at how we might be able to help um, our patients who. Uh, have a bit biomechanically challenged, like mainly um, post-operative orthopedic cases mm-hmm. and obviously geriatric animals. Um, I was looking at perhaps doing physiotherapy, mm-hmm. um, but then I was told I had to go back to uni and study human physiotherapy, yeah. and that wasn't really an option yeah. for me because yeah. um, I was starting a family at the time. Yeah. Um, so someone told me about a graduate diploma in animal chiropractic um, and that was a wonderful course because it was a mixture of human osteopaths, human chiropractors and vets. Yeah. Um, everyone came together in a part-time two-year course. It's now morphed into the animal biomechanical medicine course, which um, yeah, it's a really good way of, um, I think particularly as we're speaking on geriatric patients, um, there's a lot of things that you can't do for them because maybe medicine-wise, they, they they might not be able to physically be able to take some of the medicines that you would like yeah. to give them because they might have issues with their liver or kidney function. Mm-hmm. And it's also nice to be able to give homework to the clients about yeah. um, different exercises and massage techniques that you can do. Um, so I went off and um, learnt the um, 
the animal chiropractic side of things and that also took me to do a Twainer Chinese massage course. Wow. Um, and a couple of years ago, I finally did the acupuncture course, um, yeah. which was yeah, um, really useful extra tool in my belt, um, particularly for uh, helping geriatric patients again because it's um yeah there's not you can't do too much with acupuncture that will um you know be detrimental to these um to the older patients so yeah. it's been really useful and then just recently I'm working towards attaining my certificate in canine rehabilitation through the Canine Rehab Institute yeah. and I'm hoping to get that completed next month wow so, yeah, Gosh. I've got a lot of tools in my belt You've got a lot of feathers in your cap that's for sure yeah, yeah it's just <laughs> nice to be able to offer a few yeah. different things for the, yeah. the animals. Yeah. yeah, and it actually really is that sort of true representation of a holistic approach, isn't it, when you've got all of those different modalities that you can use and pick and choose what is going to suit the patient and the owner best and yeah. get the best outcome. Yeah, it's great. Well, I used to always like to be able to tell my tell my dad, who's a doctor, that real doctors treat more than one species. <laughs> <laughs> so the age-old um, sort of argument, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. There's certainly a lot of things that have been that I've seen over the years on the internet that says, says different things along those lines. Like a, a vet has 50 specialties in one, and and a doctor only looks at one particular disease in one species. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. And so, well, it sounds like Monavale Vet are very uh, lucky to have you because uh, you've got a, a huge amount to offer the clients on the Northern Beaches. So I know that you've become a partner of this clinic about seven years ago. Uh, can you tell me a little more about your role at the clinic? Do you see um, sort of general patients as well or, or do you really only see the cases which um, require the um, sort of longer term pain management and, um, and rehabilitation work? Yeah, so those patients probably naturally gravitate towards me or we do do internal referrals for them. Um, but I do um, work uh, in general practice as well. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my uh, part-time roles as a vet is, is actually um, consulting because that's where um, I seem to be needed the most. Yeah. Um, I do love surgery, but I've had to kind of hang that cap up because I haven't figured out how to clone myself yet. <laughs> um, there's only enough time in the day to be able yeah. to do the, the consulting side of things, which is fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I probably would see a lot of the more biomechanically challenged um, patients, so the elderly as well as the post-orthopedics cases and um, any animal that's got osteoarthritis mm-hmm. um, and those kind of things because I we we can offer quite a few different things. We have a, a laser machine here as okay. well, um, so we can use that for, for the pain relief and, and yeah. everything. My initial consultations usually take about an hour because I spend okay. a lot of time actually chatting with the owner to find out some background, trying to understand what's going on with their with their um, for friend, mm-hmm. um, and then my recheck consultations go for forty minutes. Wow! Um, yeah, that's excellent. So, yeah, it's nice. So we are a we're a general practice here. We just see the the small animals, companion animals. Gosh, it sounds wonderful to be able to spend an hour or even forty minutes with a patient. Is yeah, <laughs> and it's fantastic. nice because a lot of the stuff I do doesn't cause pain. So they yeah. actually, you know, the they're already relaxed. If not after the first consultation, then definitely by the yeah. next one, they're usually trotting in and lying on my mattress, ready yeah. to be treated. That's so nice. It's so different to some of the experiences that animals have in vet clinics. It really creates that nice positive association, which can help from a behavioural point of view too. They've got stress around yeah, coming. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I mean, we've discussed some of the things that you offer for senior pets. Are you only looking after when you when you're talking about caring for senior pets? Are you really focused mainly on their mobility and their joint health, or do you tend to look at the animal as a whole and treat different disease processes that are occurring mm. as well? Yeah, definitely, Sarah. There's um, quite a lot of things involved with that. So, certainly, primarily the. Um, biomechanical health, joint health, mobility and things like that. Um, I talk about two kinds of pain with, um, particularly with geriatric animals is um, the biomechanical and 
or physical pain that they might be feeling, but also the emotional pain because um, mm. I think that's something that's really important. Um, sleep patterns can get disturbed. They can get cognitive um, yeah. dysfunction issues um, and that can be um, quite quite distressing for them and I think you can manage that quite nicely with some of the uh, advice that I give to clients. Mm-hmm. Um so in my with my approach to geriatric patients, mm-hmm. so I, I speak to clients as though it's it's a bit like a jigsaw in the way that I help them. So there's pieces of the jigsaw. Um, and I talk about, so first of all is the, what I call the interrogation, which is where I sit down for a long time with the owner and I'll chat to them about um, various things because really, you know, they're the ones who are the experts on their elderly animal yeah, and they know the ins and outs and so therefore they'll know if something's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I chat a lot about the environment that the animal's moving in. Mm-hmm. I like to know about the backyard um, for dogs. Um, And certainly, you know, if there's anything like raised garden beds or anything like that, um, it's a lot of people get worried about animals jumping up onto things, but I'm actually more concerned about when they jump down um, because they've done fourth place studies in um, animals and they've found that if you times their body weight by five, that's the, um, that's the, concussive impact that's going through those small surface areas of their front legs. Wow. Um, So certainly if that's a repetitive thing that's happening, I want to know um, if the animal's jumping around, jumping off beds, that's a really common one. Um, For cats as well, exactly the same thing. um, Once once the animal's committed to jumping down, they've they've done it. And they've got that concussive force going through. Um, Whereas if... They they can either jump up or they can't jump up, so yeah. it's not it's not as much of a problem for them. Yeah. Um. I also explained to the client that the front legs of um, dogs and cats are actually only stuck to their body by muscle. There is no bone that connects the front front leg to mm-hmm. to the thorax, mm-hmm. and so they they can actually get um. Um, injuries and sprains and strains of of muscles and everything because of that. Um, it's really important that that um, people realise that uh, the treatment of old age starts from a young age, and if you allow the animals um, to repetitively jump from heights, anything higher than their standing shoulder height is the recommendation that I give. Yeah. They shouldn't be jumping from anything higher than that. So when you think of particularly little dogs who love to be up on yeah. bed. I'm thinking about um, my parents' terriers right now. Yeah. Yep. It's, um, you know, if they're doing that five, six, ten times a day, yeah. it really sets them up for a lot of trouble yeah. when they're older. Yeah. Um, and the car as well, finding yep. out what kind of car people are driving on the northern beaches. There's a lot of four-wheel drives. Yes. People don't realise in the excitement of arriving at the dog park that dogs just hurling Leap themselves out, out at these yep. four-wheel drives. Yeah. And, yeah, so that environment is really important. I want to know what floor surfaces they've got at home because mm-hmm. slippery floor surfaces are just setting animals up for big issues, particularly if they're more of a guard dog kind of dog that scrabbles and does scooby-doos on yeah. the floor. Yeah, they're racing to get to that things. front door. Yeah. Wanting to hear about whether there's places where animals can get injured. Mm-hmm. Um Toileting is another thing. A really, one of the first things that you can find with elderly animals is that um, it's uncomfortable for them to get into the position, yeah. to hold the position to do poo and pee. And that, yeah. that's a really early indicator of, um, of issues that I could probably help with. So yeah. I just tell people when I'm seeing them for their routine checks, just let me know, just watch out for that. Um, it's a big problem in elderly cats because yes. they'll actually start to avoid going to in the, litter tray. the toilet and they can get constipated. Yeah. And you may start to, you know, people will start saying, oh, they've started urinating or pooing outside of the litter tray. Yeah. Uh, or they'll get messier. Or I went to an interesting talk the other day where they recommended the cat litter tray should be at least one and a half times the length of the cat. Right. Um, because if you watch the way they, they um, go to the toilet, they actually stand in the litter tray, scratch it, and then they step forward and go in that hole that they've created ah, in the litter no tray room, long enough, actually. then yeah. they can um, run into trouble. And um, that's where you start to get issues with urinary tract 
troubles yeah. and also constipation, which can be really painful um, and uh, yeah. flare-ups of arthritis in elderly cats. That's, a, that's another one that yeah. often the first thing you'll do, you'll see is they actually start vomiting because they're constipated really? because they're painful to get into the position wow. to do their toilet. Um, so that's what I see. So counsel to my clients when I'm doing the interrogation is to, um, just watch out if your cat starts vomiting. You might want to be just checking that alternative moist log. We like to see a moist log <laughs> yeah. in the litter tray. Yeah. And if it's not a moist log, then you, you, and if it's hard, then you might be needing to think about changing their food, putting more moisture into their food, or maybe using some laxatives or something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, right. So I think that's all That's all quite important things to get from the owner about what they're up to with their older animal. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about, I ask about what kind of medicines the animal's already on. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it can just get away from you that more and more, maybe if you're in a multi-vet practice or the animals come for being to see a number of different vets. They can sometimes be on a few different kinds of medicines and it's important to just find out does the owner understand how that medicine works yep. um, and whether there could be some interactions yeah, absolutely. Um, with the medicines um, and also to find out if they're using the correct dosage because sometimes it, as the animal gets older, they may gain, mm. which might happen, or they may lose weight, which yeah. means they might not actually be on the correct dose. I think that's yeah. that's an important one. Um, insofar as how often I see the patients, um, it's probably about um, six, every six months okay. if the geriatric um, patient is healthy. But if there's any body organ dysfunction, then I'll ask to see them every three months. Yeah. Um, and that involves chatting with the owner, obviously, each time. Um, and then the other part of the jigsaw is, of course, the physical examination mm-hmm. um, and then also the um, the lab work, which yes. I may order for them as well, which yep. is just a, the generic one for, for uh, the external labs. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so there's always this kind of controversy of, of when is a dog and a cat considered senior? What age? I know it differs between size breeds and and um, things like that but in your mind um, is it sort of the age of eight or seven or when are you starting to talk about these things with people? Um, So generally with cats we would consider them geriatric after the age of eight. Yep. Um, So dogs it's a little bit different because the larger the dog the um, the, the shorter the life expectancy. Yeah. So for a Great Dane, we might be considering them to be um, geriatric after about six years of age. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then for a chihuahua, we might, you know, get them until they're 20 years old. So yeah. certainly it's, um, that, that is, uh, yeah, it's a bit different between the dogs and yeah. the, and, uh, the different size dogs and everything, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so if a, um, I mean, in a scenario, if an eight-year-old cat came in and for a routine vaccination consult or something like that, would you then sort of introduce to the client, if they hadn't already thought about it, the fact that well, perhaps it might might be a good time to start to look out for some of these things that are more common in, in older animals? And do you, at that stage, um, like to run some blood work and your analysis? and have a look at what might be going on with the organ function or are you waiting to do those things until you see some sort of signs of disease? Oh, no, Sarah, I think, um, yeah, because often after you start to see the clinical signs, um, it's, you know, almost the horse horse has already bolted in many respects. Um, I think another really important um, uh, thing as well as the, as the urine and the blood tests, as you say, particularly for cats, is um, is, is taking the blood pressure. Yes. Um, there are recent reports have um, been saying that about 8% of cats over the age of 10 years old have got um, an increase in their blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's certainly the silent destroyer when you're thinking yeah. about organ function and yeah. things like that. And yeah. thankfully now there's, um, you know... Uh, methods that you can use to collect 
to take the blood pressure correctly and act more accurately. Because the thing in the past, people probably haven't really been wanting to do blood pressure too much because the um, uh, the, the machine that you use can be a bit noisy. Yeah. Um, cats are often a bit stressed when they yeah, yeah, which can put their blood pressure up as yeah. well. But we do things like we have pheromones um, mm-hmm. going through the, the room to make them feel more comfortable. We heat up. Um, towels, that's really nice. Yeah. You can get these really nice little um, discs that you heat up in the microwave yeah. and they keep their heat for about eight hours. Okay. So, you know, making sure that cat can get out of the carrier on their own terms so it's yeah. not being dragged out by yeah. people and just um, let them hide underneath the warm towels and yeah. snuggle up. And then you can just do a um, quick blood pressure. The nurse would do that for us before. Um, the, before the examination, okay. actually, they, that, that's the first thing that gets done. Because yeah. if they've got a high blood pressure, then you do need to be concerned about sequelae and organ health and things, kidneys yeah, of course. retina and things like that. Yeah. Mm. yeah, no, it's important to be identifying that early on so that you can intervene, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so once you've got that blood work and, and the blood pressure for a cat um, and perhaps a urinalysis as well to complete um, your initial sort of ex- examination and pathology, um, do you, uh, you've obviously gathered your history, do you immediately start talking about environmental changes that they might need to make or um, some alternative therapies that you might need to bring in um, at that point? Uh, yeah, definitely, yeah. because I think that can make a big difference. Um, the, the big issue for, for elderly cats and dogs is that um, certainly one thing I find is stairs are a real problem yeah. in the house. That's yeah. one really important thing. And in fact, they can be quite um, distressful um, incidents where uh, an animal's going usually downstairs. It's a problem. Um, and they go down maybe two of two of the stairs of the of the um the big long flight of stairs and then they just um Freeze. and then they fall the rest of the way. Um that that can be real a real problem in yeah. the yeah, in the elderly animal. So you do I think it's really important to just highlight things that people maybe hadn't really thought about. Yeah. Um I talk about two two kinds of muscle strength mm-hmm. in a way that would make it easier for people to understand. Um, so I talk about the muscles of action mm-hmm. um, or exercise and the muscles of strength or proprioception. Um, and I liken it to, and sometimes you see some um, elderly dogs in particular who go out um, walking with their owner every single day, the same route, no no, um, no heels, nothing. They go, yeah. don't go off lead. They stay on lead. So they're actually pretty trim-taught and terrific insofar as their their movement, mm-hmm. their movement um, muscles, but their muscles of proprioception, which are the muscles that help them to stand against gravity, um, may not be very well developed. Um, and I liken it to the, the muscles of proprioception. It's a little bit like your elderly grandmother who goes to yeah, sit down in a chair of, and they yeah. get to about halfway and then they can't kind of fight gravity any yeah. longer and they just kind of it's fall. Flop, yeah. So I chat to the client a lot about this concept of living with gravity um, and trying to make sure that they're strong so that they can protect themselves if they find themselves in a situation where they're losing their balance, um, that they need to recover from that. Yeah. So some some people, you need to tailor it to, to their owner's ability to interact and exercise with their animal and do strength training with their animal. It's not to everyone. Yeah. Some people are just, you know, I call them the gold clients who are yeah. just like they'll do half an hour of strength training with their animal twice a day and, yeah. and they're, they're just great. Um, but for people who are a little bit time poor, it can be something as simple as um, a partially inflated air mattress that you just put on the floor and feed their dry food onto it. So you sprinkle the dry food on, they get onto that um, partially inflated air mattress and they trot around on a slightly um, uh, unbalanced way and they're just constantly correcting themselves each time they're going a little bit off balance and you've got that positive reinforcement of their Hmm. getting their dry food as well. And then they can just keep the partially inflated air mattress can just be kept behind the couch or something like that. And I think that's um, that's really good. But then you um, you can increase that to things like a lot of animals have got Dogs in particular have got um, weakness in their back legs. Yes. Um, so a good one for strengthening the back legs, helping them to 
stand against gravity is to is to simply put their food elevated so that they have to stand up with their yeah. front legs up a little bit yep. and they eat their food. But the whole time that they're eating, they're actually um, transferring the, the weight load, balance to yeah. the back legs and helping yep. them to stand. And then you can even do um, uh, make it a little bit harder by lifting one of the back legs while they're eating just right. so that they're standing against gravity. You can give them a little bit of a wobble. Okay. Um, the other one is as they're, as they're being walked by the owner, um, if they're on leash and they're standing next to the owner as they're walking along, the owner can just like slightly push them off balance as they're yep. walking along, just to the side so that they don't fall over altogether, but just have a little bit of a wobble and correct themselves and on they go. Just so that, because the last, particularly with this day and age with the slippery floor surfaces, um, it, it is a little bit of a trick for um, the older animals to, to keep their balance and stay um, uh, stop from being injured, basically. Yeah. yeah. There's some really, really good tips, very easy to implement, um, practical things that people can do immediately. That's great. Mm. Okay, so that, that's a really good discussion on sort of maintaining that muscle strength, which can help to improve proprioception um, and reduce the risk of falling. But when we're looking at the actual joints themselves and osteoarthritis, um, we've mentioned a, a lot of different approaches that you offer um, at, at Monavale Vet. Um, did you want to go through sort of one by one um, how you would utilise things like acupuncture and your rehabilitation work um, and even the laser for dogs and cats with arthritis? Yeah, sure. So I think um, the caring for joints probably starts, I have a big chat about the home stuff like controlling the slipping and everything um, and also controlling the, the body weight of the animal. Yes. Um, I just let people know particularly if we're looking at a front leg issue, um, 65% of the body weight of a, um, of a four-legged animal goes through their front legs. Um, so you do need to consider that. And even if they have a back leg issue as well, if, if they've got pain in the back legs, then they will naturally transfer more weight to the front as well. Mm, so that's, yeah. that's a really important thing to, to consider um, if an animal... Um, carries for every extra kilo that an animal carries in their body, um, that will be equivalent to five kilos going through those little joints. Yeah, right. You really can make a difference to their – I, I just I often say to clients that if I could only do one thing from your for your animal, um, it would be weight loss. Yeah. Like all yeah. of the other things that I have, all of the other tools in my belt, if I'm dealing with an animal that's carrying extra kilos, then that would be my recommendation yeah. to them first and foremost if they only do one thing, that they get the weight off. Um yeah. So then we chat as well. Oh, incidentally, I always tell them not to forget about the the feet, um, particularly in dogs who've got those feathers that come out from okay. um, between their toe pads. Yeah. Um, when they're moving around on those slippery floor surfaces, that can really impede their um, traction on yeah. those. So yeah. I just let people know, make sure that you keep those feathers trimmed back. Yeah. Yep. Um, and and you nails can even use things, yeah, and the nails shorter. You can even use things like um, show paw, and you can get um, just some grit to yes. put onto their onto their um, their pads so yep. that they can keep that keep that grit. Um, so, I, and I think vet practices are terrible for having slippery floor surfaces. Yeah. I'm always apologising to my clients, and I, I haven't done it yet, but I am very. I would love to eventually one day have a rolled up red carpet that we can just bring out for our elderly <laughs> patients it. and just roll it out for them yeah. and put it away when they're when they've been and gone. Yeah. Um but I yeah, I chat to people a lot about um joint mobility and the fact that um joints don't have a very good blood supply. So they do rely on the fluid inside the joint to nourish them and mm -hmm. keep them healthy. And that's why it's actually the worst thing you can do for an arthritic joint is to rest it completely. Yes. Um, uh, regular controlled exercise is, is the best way mm -hmm. to, to, to treat a joint and to keep it healthy as possible. Yeah. Um, that joint fluid can be affected by your... Um, nutraceuticals, yep. um, your injectables, your oral forms, they're, they're really beneficial. And I use the analogy of um, an old house uh, with my clients to describe why these are useful because a lot of clients will say to you, uh, you know, I use that 
whatever nutraceutical that you recommended, but I didn't really see any difference. I haven't yeah. continued with it. But I think it's because I don't actually understand why it's, it's working. working. Yeah. Um, so I say, well, the joints are like an old house and there's a guy there who's working on the house and he's trying to keep it maintained. And the nutraceuticals that I've told you about um, that I recommend using are merely the materials that that fellow needs to keep the joints as healthy as possible. Mm. Yeah. So by using these, you're not necessarily finding an immediate response with it, but you're investing um, in the future joint health mm. um, of your animal by using these nutraceuticals. Yeah, that's a lovely way to put it. Um, and I think that kind of gets them through because otherwise they're saying, well, I'm spending all this money, I'm not seeing a difference. Yeah. But they're yeah. not actually seeing the long term that they've actually got those joints for a yeah. lot longer than yeah. they would have, would have ordinarily. Yeah. Um, so I also teach clients insofar as joint health. I teach them some simple trainer Chinese massage techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, heat and friction. So on an animal's coat is quite good. I just show them where all the joints are, the ones that are affected. And I'll just get them to merely rub. And the faster you rub, they don't have to rub hard, but the faster you rub, the more heat you feel coming into your hand mm-hmm. and therefore into the joint. And that'll naturally increase the circulation to that area mm-hmm. and, and help with the, um, the fluid inside the joint. And then they can they can cheat if they want by heating a wheat bag up in the microwave and just applying that. Yeah, um, but nice. it's often something that people can do when they're sitting there watching telly yeah. with, their, with their animal. And you can actually, because they like to touch and um, stroke the animal, and at least if you can tell them where they can do that to yeah. make the animal more comfortable, that's nice. Yeah. And then a pass- I just get them doing a passive range of motion to the joint. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if it was a hip joint, then you'd be getting them doing like a gentle, almost like a bicycle movement yes. of that yeah. ball and socket joint just to get that. And I just tell them to imagine they're watching the water in the beach coming in and the waves coming in and out. So yeah. it's just a really slow um, passive range of motion and while they're doing that they can think about the fluid that's inside the joint that's going around nourishing yeah. the nourishing the articular cartilage and yeah, keeping nice. it as healthy as possible yeah. and then the final there's the three the three twanger techniques that I talk about the final one's a little bit tricky for people to manage it's called shaking um, the physios have got those really expensive vibration mats. I don't know if you've yeah, seen them. They, have, just, yeah. they, they help, yeah, help with you with that those joint surfaces. So you can emulate that by just holding the animal's leg and just really fine vibration, really fine shaking, um, almost almost like you've got a tremor, and and you direct it into the joint. And the Chinese say that's the closest thing that you can get to actually massaging the articular cartilage right. with your thumbs. Mm. Okay. It's quite a nice one if people can get yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot people can do at home and it's Definitely. probably the most important thing really once they've got that good guidance by someone like you, the more that they can do at home, the better by the sounds of it. Definitely. And so thinking about things like acupuncture and laser therapy, obviously that's not something really most people can do at home. Um, when would you utilise those therapies? So I would usually be recommending those if, it, if the animal's come into me with an acute um, uh, mobility issue, then I'll use the acupuncture probably weekly, but maybe twice weekly to start mm-hmm. with, depending on what the situation is. Um, I'd do that for about a month, um, yeah. and then I would reassess. Generally, once we go from that acute scenario to the more chronic scenario, then I've got um, my regular clients who come back about every four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes that can be a little less frequent um, when the animal is um, more mobile, perhaps in the summer months, I might not need to see them as much. Um, Or as they lose weight, um, that's often a good incentive for the clients. Yeah. Um, and then in the in the winter time, there's a lot of animals that um, that get a bit seized up. Um, I do actually have a laser machine that um, that I'm able to rent out to clients. Okay. It's a um, smaller version of the um, the one that I use, and I can show clients where to actually put that mm-hmm. um, to provide relief. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I do give to clients sometimes is I'm not sure if you've heard of Moxa. Um, no. It's a 
it's a Chinese um, product. It's like a big, looks like a big cigar, and you burn it. It's got mugwort in it, which is a herb. Yeah. And when you burn it, it smokes, and it smokes with a really um, it has a lot of heat. And you can actually, um, if the if it's a dog and the client doesn't mind, I'll actually clip the acupuncture points where um, I find the moxa would help. Wow. Um, and you can actually just give the give the moxa stick to the client and just ask them to hold it above those acupuncture points, and that can be quite nice, wow. particularly in, um, in the winter months where yeah. you've got animals that are really struggling with getting up. The, anim- the owner can just go and do the moxa onto those acupuncture points. It's um it's really good. You do have to get them to make sure they put the moxa stick out um, completely because it can stay smouldering and I did hear a story once of somebody getting a moxa stick that was hadn't been put out oh. properly and they put it in their handbag and their handbag um, out came on fire oh, no. <laughs> while they were driving on the highway. So oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought you were about to say that they held the, the burning moxa stick onto the animal's skin or something bad like that. <laughs> fire in a handbag is quite funny but also <laughs> could be bad okay I'd never heard of that that is so interesting so there's really a lot that we can do for mobility and for joint health in older animals um, we did sort of touch on some of the other body systems you talked about the importance of taking blood pressure and everything like that but in terms of things like gut health eye health immune system mm. um, is there any sort of special tips that you have for clients yeah. of how to take care of those um, you know and, or, and obviously brain health as well of those more more sensitive tissues. Yeah, definitely. Um, Sarah, I do talk a lot about um, gut health. Um, Elderly animals, uh, their guts aren't as good at at absorbing nutrients Mm -hmm. Um, and you do really need to consider carefully the quality of the nutrients that they're getting, um, first of all, Um, and also the fact that they probably need to be fed more frequently so that that um, less efficient gut is getting as much opportunity as possible to get the nutrients that they need. Yeah, right. I caution people against feeding raw food to their geriatric patients. Mm-hmm. No, it's for geriatric um, animals. Um, I, I, I nearly caution against that because uh, particularly if they are sourcing their meat from supermarkets. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been reported that about 30% of raw meat from supermarkets does have salmonella and E. coli right. on it. Yeah. And I think for geriatric animals, that you just need to be quite aware of that. Yeah, um, of course. And then there's also from a, um, from a nutritional uh, or from, yeah, from, from the elderly point of view, the um, cooking the food also makes it a little bit easier to digest. Yes. Yeah. Um, the Chinese in particular would, would always caution against feeding raw meat or vegetables to elderly animals okay. because it takes too much of the energy to actually try and digest that. Yeah. If you warm it or heat it, then it just makes it more digestible. Yeah. So definitely from that point of view, the gastrointestinal tract and then at the beginning of the gastrointestinal tract is probably the most important thing, which is mm. the teeth. Yes. I think the teeth can be a really big source of pain for yeah. elderly animals. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of people and vets are quite afraid of giving general anaesthetic to animals and that are that are elderly. Um, I think I think it's a shame that that is always that you allow an animal to continue to suffer. Um, I think it's a welfare issue. Yeah. Um, because of um, our hesitancy to to give an anaesthetic. Yeah. Um, having said that, I would never give an anaesthetic to an elderly animal that I didn't know what their blood pressure was, what their, um, you know, liver and kidney function and that kind of thing. Um, but I think definitely to say, oh, we're not going to give an anaesthetic because of their age is, um, is probably something we should be reconsidering. Some of the things that I do, um, have as recommendation, um, if you're going to be giving an anaesthetic to an elderly animal, you can do things like liver support with milk thistle supplement. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a tablet that you can get. You can give them milk thistle each day for five days before the anaesthetic mm-hmm. and then five days after mm-hmm. as a liver support. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I chat about is um, gingivitis. So a lot yes. of animals, some of them will have 
not too bad insofar as the calculus on the teeth. But yep. the, the gingiva, the gums might be quite inflamed. Yeah. And you can do nice soothing things like green tea. Yeah. Um, I've also um, heard of turmeric powder yep. mixed with ghee. Um, yeah. And you can just put that, apply that to the to the gums. It's like and that an can anti take away some of that redness. That's yeah. an anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Nice. Can be quite nice. Nice. Mm. Okay. And I recommend green tea as well as an anti-inflammatory for um, for the brain. That's quite a, yeah. quite good for the cognitive function. Yeah. About for a ten kilo dog, about a quarter of a cup a day. Okay. Um, and that's yeah, that potent pretty, antioxidant. No one gives them too much, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it's quite a nice antioxidant and yeah, it's nice, nice for that cognitive function. Yeah. I think a lot of um, the brain. So that I spoke before about emotional suffering, and I think. That, that when they start to get cognitive issues, they can get quite anxious with that. And it can yes. often be at night time um, that it happens because their sleeping patterns are disrupted. They may be sleeping more in the daytime. And then at night time, that's when they're, they're up and they're panting and they're pacing. And it can be quite um, quite worrying um, and distressful for for the owner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I chat about things. I have a, a, a very dear client who her dog used to get quite anxious in the um, in the evening time or if they were having a dinner party. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she actually came came across this great interactive feeding device that she just got on the yeah, internet. Yeah, sure. And she um, just used to give that to her dog prior to people arriving for the dinner party. And the dog would get so involved in figuring out how to get the food out of the, um, the device that it didn't actually end up escalating into the, the full-on anxiety that, yeah, that's great. that it was having. So I think that things like that can be yeah. can be a really nice way. And, and I think um, I also let people know just re- to remember that for a dog, if you look at a dog's brain, 30% of it is put aside to the sense of smell. Right. Um, and so it's just amazing. You know, the people say always say to you, "Oh, I'm worried about their eyes. They've got cataracts." But yeah. it's actually more about the fact that if they've got their sense of smell and they're in an environment that they're um, they've been in all their life, then um, it's actually they're, they're okay if they don't see that yeah. well because of the nucleosclerosis in their in their eyes. Yeah. Well, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I think as well, I talk a lot about um, the the coat, the skin Mm -hmm. and the coat. Yes. Particularly for elderly cats. Um, They may be because of dental pain, but also it can be because of their arthritis. Um, They don't um, groom themselves as well. And you'll see see this, like the front is usually okay, um, but the back half is all um, matted, even in um, short-haired cats, it all kind of together yeah and I liken it I just say to people you, you know you can start grooming them gently um and it's a bit like going and putting makeup on little old ladies in hospital and it just yeah. makes them feel so much better yeah. and I think that's the same for the for the elderly cats because it must be awful for them to sit there and not be able to yeah. groom themselves properly they're so fastidious and, um, yeah and it also takes because a lot of them are a little bit weak in the back end and the Chinese say that when you when you um, stroke the stroke from the head down to the to the back end, it's taking the the chi and moving it from the front to the back and oh, giving right. them more energy in the back. Yeah, which I think is probably a, a circulation thing. Yeah. if you're stroking the skin and um, uh, in that direction, you're taking that that circulation to the to the back end. Yeah, and they do. Yeah, they really do like. Um, having that grooming done. Yeah, that's nice. It's a nice way for the mm. owner and the animal to interact too and to strengthen their bond. Definitely. Yeah. It's good for the blood pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, lovely. Well, there's some really nice things there. So when we're talking to our vets, um, in your opinion, how can um, our sort of general practitioners who perhaps aren't as educated on um, looking after senior pets as, as someone like yourself, how can they easily um, provide a better service to their senior patients? Well, I think definitely to increase the frequency that they're interacting. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be face-to-face, but definitely at least phone calls. Yeah. Um, people have 
they don't the animals don't come with a um how to do list yeah. or a book. Yeah. Um and a lot of people struggle with knowing when is the right time for the animal to be euthanized. Yes. And I think that's a really important place that we can really help yeah. in that respect. Yeah. And it can even just be it doesn't have to be a vet, it can be a nurse. Um we just have a um a folder on our um our appointment scheduler that just has um the the twilight animals, which yeah. are the ones that are getting close to the end of their time. And yeah. somebody if they've got a bit of spare time, they'll just look at that and see who hasn't been phoned recently and just give them a call and just check in, That's see how nice. things are going, whether we can help with something. Yeah. Um I think just that contact, everyone in effect practice has been through this so many times and you tend to get a little bit say about it perhaps. But yeah. people that are so grateful if you can just call and help them with that. Yeah. Recently, um, I have a quality of life assessment um, sheet that I – it's a document of maybe three pages long that I have in PDF I can email to people. Yeah. And I just tell them um, to sit down one day with a glass of wine or a cup of tea and for the whole family to sit down and go through it and just – it just it – just, they just literally score – um, each uh, element in there that's looking at the quality of life of the animal, and then yeah. they add it up at the end, and yeah. they can get it. Just sometimes helps to to see that that figure, and then they I get them to do it each time, maybe a month later yeah. or two weeks later, or what, yeah. however quickly the animal is declining, so they can see how things are changing from yeah. time to time. And I think as well, sometimes we're stuck in a um, very difficult um, situation where the animals come down to likely be euthanized but the decision hasn't quite been made mm. and it's only then that the two or three people who've come down with the animal are having the discussions for the first time with each other deciding yeah, what they so think sad. is appropriate. Yeah, and, that's and so hard, isn't it? I think by, by preempting that, before there's as much emotion involved, you can send that quality of life assessment to allow. Mm. Well, yeah. I'm happy to share that with people if anyone wants to get in contact with me. Yeah, but it's, it's really, really useful because it allows people to have that discussion away from the vet clinic or away from the whole emotion of here and now yes. having to make the decision. Yeah. They can draw the line in the sand yeah. and they can say when the time comes, well, remember we had that discussion before and we said when Fluffy hadn't eaten for three days that that was going to be yeah. the thing or when they hadn't played with their ball for for a couple of days because that's yeah. their favourite thing yeah. and it can just make things a lot easier. Yeah. I heard, I went to the AVA conference last month and um, there there is actually an online thing that um, that actually the client, it's something you pay for, but the client can um, go on and, and just fill out a little questionnaire and it comes back to you with a little graph on how the animal's going. Okay. And they were actually saying you could do it from from when you first start doing your senior checks because mm. you can see how the various medications or the various modalities that you're using can change the animal's quality of life over time. Yeah. And you can also set it up to have little um, alerts to come through if um, if the animal's falling below a certain level. Yeah. It'll, it'll send an alert to the client saying, we're worried, can you give us a call? That sounds great. Um, so I think, yeah, those kind of things, again, I'm more than happy to share if anyone wants to um, contact me about those. Yeah. I haven't used it, but I've had a look at it and it certainly looks really good. Yeah. But I think also to provide as much as possible a fear-free environment for yeah. the animal when they come to the to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, cutting down waiting times in in the waiting room, having separate dog and cat areas, yeah. allowing the cats to be up high so they're not on the floor with, you know, animals, come, dogs coming and poking their heads in yeah. at them, using pheromones to, you know, keep them keep them calm, yeah. using heat. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, trying to, trying to limit the slipping on the floor. Um, yes. Important yeah. as well, making them feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, you know, not just having a longer consultation put aside as well. Yeah. That's also important. So I worked, when I worked in the UK, we had five-minute consultations. <gasps> no, <laughs> five minutes. Just, 
Yeah, that was just oh uh, my god, yeah, impossible to even have any kind of relate. By the time oh you've gotten over talking about the fact that you were Australian, you know, which Australians they times up. it was just yeah, that was it. <laughs> oh so my gosh, we, yeah, we have some. Um, we have twenty minute standard consultations, but if it's anything that looks like it might be a bit more than more, do a double forty minute consultation. Yeah. So I think that's um, that's a really that's important. Thing. Yeah, because there's often a lot to talk about with a senior patient. Um, you know, unfortunately, the reality is is that things do start to go wrong um, a lot of the time with different body systems, and it's important to take the time to address all of those and not feel pressured by time and sort of think, oh, well, we'll just talk about the heart next time <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Yeah, to give them the best, um, you know, the, the best chance of living the rest of their days with the highest quality of life. Then I think taking that time is really important. Absolutely. Yeah, but also not trying to get through a shopping list that the owner might have bought with them as well. So often you'll get the, can you do the anal glands and clip the yeah. nails? And, yeah. You know, and, and you've just got to read the animal and go, well, if you're not coping with just the bare minimum that we need to do and you're getting a little bit stressed out, let's just make an, another time and you can yeah. come down and get those done another yeah. time. So I've got some dogs that come in and just get one nail clipped at a time. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're happy to do that. They come wow. in, they get a tree, they get one nail clipped and off they go. <laughs> that is so funny. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> well, it's, it makes sense though because it's so stressful sometimes for them. That, you know, sometimes you really can only get all one done at a time without yeah. without causing that stress. So that's that's nice. <laughs> and um, before we wrap things up, Alison, is there anything else that you feel that you'd like to share on the topic of, of caring for our senior pets? No, well, really just as I've spoken before about people um, going out and doing other, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to go out there and learn some more things about mm. Um, it's not just about medicine and um, and drugs. There's lots of other things that you can do to help yeah. geriatric as well as every patient. Um, get the owners involved and um, hands-on um, various things that you can go and learn. Um, more than happy to, if anyone wants to contact me about that, I'm more than happy to, to chat about the different yeah. options. Yeah, it's great. Exciting. Yeah, gosh, it's... I wish there were more people around like you. It sounds like you would be the sort of vet I would want to take my pet to for sure. Just getting that that real extra level of care is, is fantastic. So on that note, are you able to actually let us know your contact details um, and where people can find you? Yeah, definitely. I'm happy for um, people to have my personal email address, which okay. is um, V for Victor, E for Echo, T for Tango. A for Alison, L for Lima, H for horse, A for Alison, L for Lima. That's okay. Perfect. Thank you very much. Well, hopefully people will be flooding your way <laughs> to learn all the goodies that you have to share. Um, well, thanks again, Alison. This has been a really wonderful episode and I know a lot of people are going to um, be able to walk away after listening to it with some really helpful tips that they can start to implement straight away, whether they are a clinician or a pet owner. So thank you for sharing all your knowledge and we'll have to have you back again one day because I'm sure that there's more there to share. Sure, I'd be happy. Great. Um, Well, thanks again. Have a lovely weekend. It's a Friday. We're recording on a Friday. Um, So hopefully your weekend is um, nice and sunny. You get some beach time. And um, we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks very much, Sarah. Much appreciated. I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and this was the Pure Animal Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please jump onto iTunes and give us a rating and review.